The following podcast is from Tabernacle Baptist Church in Cartersville, Georgia. Thanks for listening. Church family, if you have a copy of God's Word with you, and I hope you do, find your place in Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1, this morning we're looking at verses 35 through 38, and I'm beginning a series of messages here this morning entitled, What We Need Now. What we need now. We all know we're living in strange and difficult, unusual times. And uh, the society, the culture, the atmosphere in which we find ourselves in can really uh, tempt us to despair. And we need uh, reminders during this time of basic biblical truth and Christian virtues. So I want to direct our attention over the next several uh, weeks to God's Word. Uh, don't really want to delve into the ins and outs of what's going on in society. However, I do uh, want to take the Word of God and some special passages from the Gospel of Mark and apply them to our current situation. And really, I want to have uh, the heart and the perspective of Jesus. In Mark's Gospel, we see our Lord over and over again uh, faced with challenges, faced with criticism, uh, faced with uh, opinions of men that came from culture and tradition. And on multiple occasions in Mark's Gospel, we see Jesus to re- respond to those situations with these three words. It is written. It is written. Jesus used there a catchphrase that was popular in rabbinical tradition that was often used to settle disputes. It is written. That phrase was used to appeal to scripture. That phrase held up the specially revealed word of God as authority. And hear the preacher's heart this morning. In the midst of all that's going on in the world, we're hearing a lot of man-centered opinions, even from Christians, even from evangelical Christianity. It grieves my heart to see how little we hear of the word of God, yet how much we hear of the opinions of men. It kind of reminds me of what Jesus, the culture Jesus found themselves in. There were many who would appear, appeal to the Mishnah, that book of rabbinical tradition that was created by man. And so when Jesus, when Jesus answered his critics, he often used that catchphrase, it is written. Let me remind us this morning, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Let me remind us this morning that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine. Let me remind us this morning of Jesus' prayer for us. He prayed, Lord, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. And oh, may God raise up an army of humble-hearted Christians who speak the truth in love and are slow to talk when it's the opinion of men, but are more quick to share the word of God. There's a need for that old spirit of it is written. It is written. 
Now, when we look to the Word of God and when we look to the Gospels and seek for truth during these difficult times, I believe in Mark's Gospel, we have several passages that can really serve as guiding lights. And this morning, I want to look at one of those in Mark chapter 1, verses 35 through 38. And I believe what we need now, first of all, we need faithful and fervent prayer. We see in Mark's Gospel, the Gospel writer described the prayer life of Jesus. We see Jesus praying. Jesus gives us a great example that prayer is needed for every believer. Jesus here models prayer. Before mandating it, he models it. He shows us that in order to be strong, in order to be secure, in order to be steadfast as Christians in this 21st century world, we must be people of prayer. And know this, James chapter 5, the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man is powerful and it's working. We need to be people of prayer. If we're going to stand with security of who we are in Christ, in this age that beckons us to deny Christ, if we're going to stand strong in the faith and have power over temptation, if we are going to be steadfast in difficult seasons, we must be people of prayer. E.M. Bounds, a great Christian pastor from years ago, once said, failure to pray is failure in all of life. And failure to pray is failure in all of life. Let's look this morning at the life of Jesus and see how we can develop a strong prayer life. That's the question before us this morning. We know prayer should be a value, but how can it become actualized in our life? How? Let's consider four actions. Number one, in order to be strong in prayer, you've got to make it a priority. Make it a priority. Everybody say that word priority. We, we see for the life of Jesus that prayer was a priority. Mark 1.35 tells us, very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he got up, went out, and made his way to a deserted place, and there he was praying. Notice Jesus gets up very early in the morning while it was still dark. This morning I was having my breakfast early and one of our children happened to wake up early. It was Julianne, our daughter, and she was at the table and she said, I woke up at six o'clock this morning. And she was uh, proud about that. She said, I looked outside the window and it was still dark. That's early for Julianne. That's early for a middle schooler, right? Well, here, Jesus is up very early in the morning while it was still dark. Now, I want you to notice from the life of Jesus and from the descriptors that Mark gives that prayer was a priority for Jesus' life. We see within these words intentionality. We see within these words discipline. We see within these words hard work. We see within these words, Jesus carving out time for prayer and making this spiritual active worship a priority. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying this morning. 
I'm not saying that in order to have a strong life, prayer life, you got to get up at 6 a.m. Many believe the language here refers to 4 a.m. to 6 a.m. Now, can I just be the first one to give witness this morning? If the Bible said, get up at 4 a.m. in the morning, I'd really struggle. Amen? If, if, if we were to take this passage as a mandate that you have to pray at 4 a.m., I may not be much of a prayer warrior, I just got to admit this morning. So know this very important thing about your Bible. Sometimes it describes God, Jesus, or one of God's people doing something. It describes it, but it doesn't necessarily prescribe it. What do I mean by that? Here, the Bible is just showing Jesus model prayer. It's not mandating that we follow what he did to the letter of the law. We are to take the principle away from the text. And what is the principle? The principle is this. If you want a strong prayer life, you've got to make it a priority. For some of us, it may be very early in the morning. For some of us, it may be our lunch break. For some of us, it may be our long morning commute. For some of us, it may be the afternoon time where we're finally free for some me time. For some of us, as I had it in college, the evening time right before bed may be the best time. Don't get caught up on times and seasons and schedules. There's a reason the Bible doesn't mandate a special time for prayer. Don't get caught up on all that. Just take this principle away. Jesus made prayer a priority. Know this, when you study Scripture, the psalmist, Psalm 55, 17, gave evidence that he made prayer a priority. He said, morning, afternoon, and evening, I call upon your name. Know this, Saints of old, like Daniel, Daniel chapter 6, verse 10, made prayer a priority. It says, after he knew that wicked law was signed that made it illegal to pray to any other god but the emperor, it says that Daniel went and prayed three times a day as it was his custom. When you read this book, you find that the holy saints of God throughout church history and in the Old Testament times, made prayer a priority. And learn this great lesson. Discipline goes a long way in establishing a strong prayer life. If you want to pray, many times it starts with just carving out time in your schedule. If you want to be a prayer warrior, Sometimes you've got to say no to some good things so that you can say yes to the best thing. If you want to have a strong prayer life, it's got to be on the radar. It's got to be one of your priorities. You can't let hobbies and the plethora activities of life squeeze out prayer. So I like to do it like this. I've tried with my personal planning to use different apps, and I've got one called Things that I like to use. But I found for my daily to-do list, nothing beats just a good old three-by-five index card. All right? So I've got a drawer in my office full of three-by-five cards. I mean, I just buy a bunch of them, fill that drawer up. In the morning and even in the afternoon, I just slide that door open and pull out a three-by-five card. And so right now, somebody taught me this. A, a soldier in our last church taught me the, 
how powerful it can be to make out your to-do list for the next day, the day before. Even taught me to do that, hey, before you leave the office at the end of the week, write out the to-do list for the next week. So sitting on my desk, I saw it this morning, I've got an index card with this next with tomorrow's activities. And I know at the top of that list, there is these two words, personal prayer. And now, why do I put those two words at the top of the list? Newsflash, I may be a preacher, but if I don't make room for prayer in my life, I may not pray. I may get busy with all of life's demands. I may get distracted. And I've learned from this principle of Jesus, oh, I'm thankful that our gracious Lord modeled this for us. We've gotta make prayer priority. So get a day timer, get your schedule, list out your life priorities. You say, I'm too busy to pray. Can I give a word from the Lord this morning? If you're too busy to pray, you're just flat too busy. And know that Jesus made it a priority and know that you've got to carve out time in your schedule. You've got to say no to some things so that you can say yes to the best thing. And know this according to Scripture, Matthew 6, we're called to seek first the kingdom of God. So we've got to make prayer priority. We're called in 1 Timothy 4, 7 to exercise ourselves unto godliness. And so let all the confusion of this world dissipate. And realize this, according to the word of God, sometimes to have the things of God in your life, you have got to exhibit some holy sweat and put some effort to it and make it a priority. And number two, if we want to have strong, a strong prayer life, we've got to number two, I believe, from the life of Jesus, remove distractions. Everybody say that word, distractions. Now, there's plenty of distractions in this 21st century age in which we live in, especially when it comes to spiritual things. At times, it can seem like the whole world is against the life of God within us. And we see an example, we see a lesson from the life of Jesus here. And notice that when he went to pray, he went to a deserted place a deserted place now that's not a buffet with all you can eat desserts a deserted place here speaks not even of a desert I don't believe there was necessarily such a place in the geographical location in which Jesus was ministering at this time Instead, the word uh, deserted place refers to solitude, isolation, secretness, privacy, aloneness. And notice what Jesus models for us. If you want to have strong, meaningful, one-on-one -on -one interaction with the Lord, it's best to find that alone place for just you and the Lord. No TV. No computer, no cell phone, silence the notifications on your smart device, on your watch. Make sure no one's around. Make sure it's just you and the Lord. See, I, I remember as the children started to grow and we had young children who could walk for the first time. It was amazing. I felt like if I wanted to be bothered, all I had to do is get on my knees and pray, 
dear Father in heaven, and in that very moment, someone would need something. Isn't that how life works sometimes? If you want an interruption, just pray. It seems like the devil will unleash all of his demons and minions to try to distract you and to keep you from this act of worship that has power to change the world. And know this, distractions are many. So you have to try to remove them. Jesus models here for us the power of private secret prayer. Now be careful that you understand prayer correctly. Did you know when you study the Bible, you'll see that the Bible teaches us you can pray anywhere, everywhere, at all times about anything. So even right now as I'm preaching, I believe this, I have the ability as I'm talking to you right now, somehow in my thought processes, to pray that the words that I utter would fall upon hearts that are receptive to God's truth. You have the ability right now without closing your eyes to pray for the preacher and to pray for the person sitting next to you that they would be edified and encouraged through this message. I remember when my uh, children were young, I, and even now I try to teach them as they go to school that, hey, you go to school, you may have a teacher that seems strict and mean. You may have a classmate who seems ugly and who is a bully at times. You may have a test or a quiz or an assignment that seems difficult. Never forget this great truth about God. In a moment, without even closing your eyes, you can talk to him in prayer. Learn that secret. The Bible says in 1 Thessalonians 5.17, pray without ceasing. So know this, we can pray anytime, anywhere, about anything. We see an example from the life of Nehemiah. You, you know about Nehemiah, don't you? He was that guy who went from the captivity to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. Chapter 1 tells us that God began to work in his heart and give, us a, give him a burden to go back to his hometown. One day he was before the king, and the king noticed that Nehemiah was kind of sad, and the king said, Nehemiah, what's bothering you? Nehemiah knew that he was kind of in a crux because if he was to mention what was really on his heart, it could result in death. What do you mean, go rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem? That's treasonous. So Nehemiah was nervous when the king asked him what's wrong. And the Bible says in Nehemiah 2.4, as Nehemiah stood before the king, even right in his presence, in that moment, he went to the Lord, we believe, maybe even with eyes open, with the eyeball to eyeball with the king, and he prayed to the king of heaven. And know this great truth about prayer. You can pray anytime, anywhere, about anything. A prayer can be spontaneous, but also see an example from the life of Jesus. Prayer also needs to be scheduled. Oh, strong prayer warriors know the secret of spontaneous prayer but they know the secret of scheduled prayer as well. They know how to make it a priority, and they know how to get into a place where they're free from all distractions. I can remember the little church that we attended in Marietta when I was younger, and I can still in my mind's eye see my Sunday school class at the end of the hallway of the education building. 
And I can still remember being taught lessons in that Sunday school room. And I remember on a particular Sunday morning, my Sunday school teacher teaching us about prayer. Years before I really became a Christ follower and understood the gospel, I can remember being instructed about this glorious thing called prayer. I remember our teacher that morning teaching us about why it's good to close your eyes when you pray. She said, boys and girls, it's hard to pray with your eyes open because when your eyes are open, you might see something that distracts you. And before you know it, you're no longer thinking about God. So it's good to close your eyes so that you can focus and learn this great lesson. Find a place that's free from distractions. Find a place that is wholly reserved where you don't get notifications. You don't hear voices from others. You have the ability to solely focus on the Lord. How many of y'all have seen the movie War Room? That movie depicts for us how important this is. When Laura and I were first married, we didn't have enough money to have cable TV. We were on a pretty tight budget. We lived in an apartment, and near our apartment, there was a Johnny's Pizza. Anybody like Johnny's Pizza? Amen. Pretty good. All right. So anyways, you all getting hungry? 11.55. That means we got to eat in five minutes, but I still got 15 more minutes of preaching. What will we do? Well, I'll keep preaching. All right. So on Saturdays, no cable TV. We were first married. This was like a horror movie for me. Why? No college football. So I had this bright idea. Honey, I'd like for us to have a marital tradition where we go down and split a small pizza every Saturday. I'd like to just take you out on a date. I knew Johnny's Pizza had one wall that was filled with big screen TVs. And I could sit there and watch um, college football and we could get refills and hang out for at least a couple hours and I might be able to keep up with what's going on. One Saturday, we went down to Johnny's, and before I could sit down, Laura sat in the seat that faced that wall. (laughs) She had caught on to my game and said, no, I want you to focus on me. And, And know this, friends, when it comes to prayer, in order to experience the freshness of God's presence, we have got to be consecrated and deliberate in our efforts to make sure we have an approach to prayer where we remove all distractions, where during that schedule time we can have unhindered fellowship with the Lord. Remove distractions. And number three, I want, to, want you to see this truth from Scripture. Do you want to have a strong prayer life? You want to be known as a prayer warrior? You want to see prayer change your family, change your attitude, change and bring change in your struggles? You want to see prayer change this church and build up the kingdom of God in Cartersville? Number three, we need to focus on relationship. Focus on relationship. And notice it says that Jesus was there, end of verse 35, he was there praying praying. Everybody say that word praying. There are numerous words used in scripture of prayer. You have the word supplication, the word intercession, the word thanksgiving. 
Here you have the most general and generic word for prayer in the New Testament. It, It is a word that the Greeks used to speak of any supplication or any request made to a deity. It's the word that one used to call on the the false gods of Greek culture, the pantheon of gods that they had. And and here the word is used within Christian thought referring to Jesus to depict the act of approaching God. And with this word, we see the most basic fundamental nature of Christian prayer. First and foremost, above anything else, prayer is simply the act of approaching God. It is in its most basic form a posture of drawing near to God and relating to him. Oh, and all that there is to learn about prayer, don't miss out on this truth. Prayer is simply talking to God. It is an act of you soul to soul, relating to him. Prayer is about not religion. It is about a relationship. Prayer shouldn't be about legalism. It should be about love. Prayer shouldn't be about a formula. It should be about faith. Oh, sometimes a well-meaning Christian will come to me and they say, I I don't know what to pray. I don't know what to say. I don't know how to approach God. Maybe I'll say the wrong thing. Hey, get this. We're all imperfect and we all stumble in many ways. And he is a perfect and holy God. And there's nothing we could do in and of ourselves to impress him anyhow. So just go to him in prayer. Sometimes someone will think, man, I've blown it in the past and I have sinned and I'm such an unholy person. I feel unworthy to go in the presence of God. Know this great truth from Scripture. If you are a Christian, you have been cleansed of all of your sins. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When the Lord looks at you, if you have trusted and believed in Jesus Christ for salvation, you have been forgiven. And when the Lord looks at you, he sees the righteousness of his son. And you are more than, you are more than qualified through the cross to go into the presence of the Lord. So talk to him. Talk to him. Prayer is talking to God. So this really frees me up. You know, in my own life, if I think about, man, am I saying the right thing? In my own life, if I make this all about pomp and circumstance and religion, it just kind of shuts me down. I don't feel real motivated to pray. But I realize that this is a relationship of love, and the Proverbs teaches I have a friend who sticks closer than a brother. When I realize that the Lord desires for people to worship him in spirit and truth, that changes everything. So I can have that secret time for prayer in the morning as I'm talking. I'm not praying coldly in a religious, formal way through this. No, I'm talking to the God in heaven who loves me. When I, throughout the day, face challenges and things that may bring anxiety or anger into my life, I have the opportunity to press the pause button on life and for just a moment talk to my heavenly Father. Why? Because I have a relationship with him. See, friends, when you get this in your mind that this is about a relationship, not about rituals and religions, it changes everything. 
And by the way, Jesus wanted you to know this. Because when he taught us to pray, how did he teach us to pray? Our Father, which art in heaven. Oh, that was revolutionary when Jesus put that word Father in there. Because in Jesus' day, the Lord was a far-off, cruel taskmaster with endless rules and traditions. But Jesus wanted his disciples to know that God is love. And he calls each of us to relate to him as Abba, Father. Let that concept of relationship change how you approach prayer. Know that you can spend scheduled time with him enjoying his presence in a relationship. Know that you can call upon him in the time of worry or need out of a relationship. Uh, Lastly this morning, I want you to see this great truth from Scripture. How can we build a strong prayer life? Make it a priority. Remove distractions. Focus on relationship. Number four, remember that all will be fruitless if you don't pray. Remember that all will be fruitless if you don't pray. Friends, know this. When when we work and go through the motions of religion and do what we can do in our own strength, we get what we can do. Uh, But when we commit ourselves to pray and then when we serve, relying on God through prayer, then we get what God can do. See, prayer, get this great truth, prayer is the spiritual act that brings the presence, power, provision, and peace of God into your life. No prayer equals no power. No prayer equals no presence. No prayer equals no provision. No prayer many times equals no peace. Prayer is the hour that changes the world. Now look at the example from Jesus. In verse 37, verse 36, the Bible says that the disciples went and searched for Jesus. They searched for him. The original language uses a word in the first century that meant to hunt down. The disciples here are on a mission to find Jesus. They can't believe he's missing. Where is he gone? What's he doing? Why are they so tore up? Well, consider the previous verses. He's been healing demon-possessed people. He healed his mother-in-law. He preached in the synagogue and cast out a demon. And people have been flocking from the surrounding areas to see Jesus. The disciples have it in their mind that the kingdom is near. Jesus, in their mind, is about to chase out the Romans and establish his messianic kingdom. And now, at the most opportune time, as the people are coming to find Jesus, Jesus is nowhere to be found. And in mystery of mysteries, what's he doing? When they finally do find him, he's on his knees. Why would he be praying? That's a waste of time. There's more productive things to do. He's about to inherit a crown and a throne in their minds. What in the world are you do, doing humbling yourself as some pauper on your knees in prayer? That's a waste of time. And then verse 37, they scold Jesus. They say, Jesus, what are you doing? Everyone is looking for you. The language con- contains the atmosphere of a sharp rebuke. Emphasis is placed on the fact that the disciples are trying to control Jesus. 
Now notice as you commit yourself to prayer, guess what? There will even be religious people who would discourage you from prayer. It'll seem that everything in the world will come against your prayer life and try to beckon you and tempt you to think that prayer is a waste of time, that there's better things to do, that productivity demands you to not give time to prayer. But Jesus, in the face of all of this, look in your Bible at verse 38. He doesn't even seek to answer his critics, the disciples. He just says, let's go on to the neighboring villages so I may preach there too. And then he says, this is why I have come. Jesus seeks to set the record straight concerning his mission. Why did the disciples scold Jesus for praying? They weren't in tune with his mission. They didn't know why he had come to earth. They hadn't grasped it yet. And Jesus here shows us why he prayed. The language speaks of purpose. Jesus knew he needed to pray in order to fulfill his purpose. We'll see him praying in this same way later in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus models for us that before we can attempt great things for God, we must pray. Before we can live the Christian life, we've got to pray. Before we can have victory over that habit or hang-up, we've got to pray. Before we can be the parents or grandparents we need to be, we've got to pray. Before we can teach that Sunday school class or give input in that committee meeting or that ministry team meeting, we've got to pray. Before we host a ministry project or lead a worship service, before we go on a mission trip, before we try to witness to our neighbors or our coworkers, we've got to pray. All is fruitless, Jesus models for us, if we don't pray. No friends, that prayer is the hour that changes the world. Prayer brings the provision, presence, power, and peace of God into all that we do. So we've got to pray. Oh, remember the spirit of Scripture. This age of productivity and man-centered religion. This age in which we think lights and a production and a religious show can change hearts. May we remember that we have to trust in the Spirit of God to bring souls to life. The Lord tells us in Psalm 127, 1, unless the Lord builds a house, its labors build in vain. Proverbs 21, 31, a horse is prepared for the day of battle, but victory comes from the Lord, Tabernacle Baptist. Zechariah 4, 6, not by strength or by might, but by my spirit, says the Lord of armies. All will be fruitless if we don't pray. I'd heard for years of the benefit of reading church history and never gotten into reading church history or biography till a few years ago. And now, as a family, we love to read church history. In fact, we've got a series of books that we're uh, reading to our, our children on famous missionaries from the past. Uh, we were down in Pensacola, Florida on vacation and went to the Christian college at which I attended and we went to their bookstore and I knew we'd find them there. They had just slews of books for children on uh, Christians throughout church history. And so Laura is reading 
on a missionary, a book on a missionary right now to the boys on a missionary by the last name Liddell. Well, in my own personal life, I found great encouragement through reading uh, church history and uh, biographical and autobiographical sketches of uh, saints from the past. And last year, at the beginning of the year, I read a book entitled Christian Leaders of the 18th Century. Christian leaders of the 18th century. And it was written about individuals who were mightily used by God uh, during the first great awakening in England. And, and so many stories I cherish from uh, that book. Uh, I've read that there's many pastors who read this book who have read it uh, each year. It was written by J.C. Ryle in the 19th century, and he was looking back on what happened 100 years before in England. But he tells about one of the pastors who was used mightily in England during those years by the name of Roland, R-O-W-L-A-N-D, used mightily by the Lord. This man was so committed to prayer, and he would travel throughout the region many times as kind of a circuit preacher, preaching at churches. He would preach at his own chapel, still stands to this day, and there's a monument to him. But he would also travel throughout England and was used mightily by the Lord in many uh, meetings. But the story is told on one occasion of how he traveled north from his homeland, his, his town, through a kind of a mountainous area to preach on a Sunday evening traveled by foot and that evening uh, the congregation knew that uh, this preacher had been used mightily was coming to preach at their church and the deacons waited in front of the church waited for his arrival and they looked across the valley at the the hilltop on the other side of the valley waiting to get a sight of him and he was running a little bit late from when they would normally start but they finally saw him come over the hilltop and then they watched as he went down into the valley. And they stood at the front of that church waiting for him to crest the hill right in front of the church. But he didn't come. They waited for minutes and minutes. Minutes became a half hour. They thought, well, goodness, something must have happened. We saw him go down into the valley. Where is he? Finally, they sent out a few men to go down into the valley and to look for him. And as they got to the lowest part of that valley, they saw him on his knees and on his face. And they heard him crying out to the Lord for empowerment and for help for the preaching opportunity before him. And the deacons actually began to upbraid this preacher and, what are you doing? We're about to start. People are going to leave. And Ryle shares of how with much grace that Roland responded and said, I can never stand before God's people and talk about God until I've spent significant time talking to him. And know this from church history, know this from Scripture, know this from the life of Jesus. Jesus models it for us so well. He knew what his mission was. He knew he was going to preach, and he knew he needed prayer. And know the same thing is true for your life, to have the power, peace, provision, and presence of God on all that you do in a special way. You need prayer. So make it a priority. Remove distractions. Focus on relationship. And may God bless us to be people of prayer. For more information, visit us online at tabernaclebaptist.org. Thanks for listening.